This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. America WK with your host, Andrew WK. It's hard enough just to run your own life than to run everyone's life. And I don't think we should look to these leaders or a stereotypical leader to lead our lives. Ideally, they should protect the conditions which allow us to live freely. America WK, Saturdays, 10 a.m. to noon on the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. The gentleman was systematically... He came in, right? He came in, and, and there were gunfire immediately and scattered the room, got everyone's attention. Uh, he, from what I understood, what she said is, is he shot the professor uh, point blank, right? One shot killed him, took him right out of it, and uh, others had been injured. And then he, he, this man had enough time. I don't know how much time elapsed before he was able to stand there and start asking people one by one what their religion was. Are you a Christian? He would ask them. And if you're a Christian, stand up. And they would stand up. And he said, good, because you're a Christian, you're going to see God in just about one second. And then he shot and killed them. And he kept going down the line doing this to people. And how much time do you need? You know, and, and, and she said he had a handgun. It wasn't a big rifle, assault rifle, or anything like this. This was a single handgun that he had enough ammunition and enough time to drop the magazine out of it, put another one in, and continue his thing. How does, how, how does he have that much time at a, at a facility? I mean, that you're, uh, yeah, okay. I, I don't understand that, how he could have that much time to, to, to kill that many people. Thank you for being here. America is the greatest country in the world. Um, quote that first came to mind when this happened the other day is from Aristotle. He said, for man, when perfected, is the best of animals. But when separated from virtue, he is the worst of all. Armed injustice, armed injustice is more dangerous. And man is equipped at birth with the arms of intelligence and with moral qualities, which he may use for the worst ends. Therefore, if he, if he, if he have not virtue, he is the most unholy and the most savage of animals and the most full of lust and gluttony. So I think we saw that the other day, right? We saw man separated from virtue we saw the worst of what man can be and then i want to tell a couple stories today of of man perfected man perfected with full of virtue and representing the best of animals the best of mankind and to be honest i'd rather focus on on that just so you know here policy on the mike slater show is that we never use a a shooter's name never um no need. Also, when describing the actions of certain people, uh, we don't like like let's say this guy, the shooter. We we don't call him a man. He's not a man. Um, he's a male. A male is a biological term. A man is something much more than that. Men don't kill innocent people. So this murderer is not a a man. He's a male. 
And I think that's an important distinction. That's not just a semantic uh, distinction. It's an important one. But anyway, we never use the killer's name. Um, I mean, the guy even wrote online that you can go from a nobody to having everybody know your name, depending on how many people you kill. So we're not going to give him that, uh, that gift. That concept, by the way, that's nothing new. In ancient Greece, there was a guy named um, Herostratus. And Herostratus wanted to be really famous, but he had no talent. So he decided to burn down the temple of Artemis. It's a giant, huge temple that you just like you would imagine uh, in ancient uh, times. And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And he burned it down and he was caught, obviously, and he proclaimed that he did it. He was proud that he did it. So not only did the Greeks execute him, but they banned anyone else from ever mentioning his name under the penalty of death. So if you ever even mentioned his name, then you saw the same fate as him, right? as the guy who burned the temple down, just by mentioning his name. There's a term, uh, herostratic fame. It's fame at any cost. So we, we don't um, give that gift to the killer. Here's what I want to say in, in our uh, couple minutes we have here together. I'll just come right out. This is going to be terribly unsatisfying. Just, you're going to leave here and, and it, 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 you'll just feel like it was a waste of time. I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just going to be honest. Um, because there are only unsatisfying answers. And that's, that's against our nature. Like We want quick answers, right? We want... We want solutions that require no work. It's just our culture, right? You want to lose weight? Take this pill. Want to get in shape? Buy that thing that you, you wrap around your waist and it shakes your fat around. Like, like what? And you can even use it when you're on the couch eating ice cream. Like that, what are you talking about? You want to get rich? You want to get beautiful? You want to be loved? It's all the same. Buy this one thing and uh, your wish will come true. It's all instant. That's the culture we've created. It's all instant. For the love of Pete, I was, uh, I got the new iPhone, success. And I pressed a button. I tried to open up an app on it this morning and it took a second. And I got annoyed. I'm not even kidding. It took a second. And I was like, oh, jeez, come on. We want everything to be instant. So when there's something that occurs in, a, in our broken world, we want an immediate solution and, and something that makes us feel good. And that's the key. It's not even like we want it to be solved. We just want something that makes us feel good. And I think that's the drive for uh, a, new, a new law, a new bill to be passed. It makes people feel like they solved it makes people feel like they accomplished something. It makes people feel good. But look at all the other laws that have been passed about guns. And everyone who passed them felt good. But it didn't stop anything. It never does. It didn't stop the 54 people from getting shot and four being killed last weekend in Chicago. Oh, but those laws felt so good when they were passed. Didn't do anything. I right? didn't, didn't save lives. But they felt good. And that's what the president was, was doing the other day, saying we got to pass new laws, right? He said when, when there's a mining disaster, we pass new safety laws. So that's just their knee-jerk reaction. That's what politicians do. They, they, like to make, they like to feel good. They like to make people feel good. They like to make people feel like they're the ones who made them feel good, right? It's, but the truth is there's no good answer to this. There's just not. And I, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you a pill 
And I'm not going to sell you a lap shaking thing, a belly shaking. I mean, there's, I can't do something that's just going to make you feel good. Let me tell a quick story. This is from uh, last year. As a 17 year old, his plans were to kill his mom, his dad, and his sister. Then go in the backyard and light uh, the woods on fire in his backyard. And he was going to do this to distract the police and the fire crews. Then he would set off pressure cooker bombs at his school full of nails. And then as kids were exiting the building, he would uh, gun them down. Yeah, that was his plan. I think this is in Minnesota, I think. So Charles Cook wrote about this, and he said, what we have here are not issues. Uh, it's not a problem of capacity. What we have is a problem of desire. The issue isn't, can someone kill his classmates? It's why would they want to do that in the first place? And when you realize, I think when I, when I realize that, that that's the problem, then the laws don't matter at all. At all. I mean, to a certain point. And we're past that point. This point forward, laws don't matter at all. It is illegal for a 17-year-old to carry a gun around. It's illegal to bring a gun in school. It's illegal to light your woods on fire. It's illegal to kill your parents. It's illegal to ignite bombs. Like, no law could have prevented what, what that 17-year-old wanted to do last year or, or what happened just a couple days ago. No law. And I, I really have to accept that reality. And again, that's not satisfying because we want to solve things. And the bill, a bill is the quickest way to do it. I don't know, that 17-year-old last year spent a year sketching out his plans, and he was going to do it on the anniversary of Columbine. So the real question isn't how do we, you know, how do we, what, what, you know, reduce the number of bullets in a magazine or what? I, like that's not, that doesn't do it. The question is why are there so many young people who wish to kill their classmates? Why are there so many young people who have an obsession with Columbine? I don't want to say so many because I don't think there are so many, but why is there one? Each segment on this show is about 10 minutes long. And I'm fully aware that the 10 minutes that we spend together here um, are unsatisfying. I try to make it as satisfying. I try to make it as uplifting, as as important, as uh, powerful, as impactful, as meaningful as possible. It's my job because your time is valuable. And I'm so grateful that you, you spend, you, you give some of it here. It's, it's so grateful. This is going to be unsatisfying. But I'm just going to be honest that I can't solve mass shootings in America in 10 minutes. And no one can. And I don't think other any other radio... I, I think every other radio show host knows they can't. But instead of admitting it, they spend their time bashing people who want to ban guns. Because that makes you feel. Period. I'm not even saying feel good, feel bad. It just makes you feel. And... We're we're like drowning and we're looking for a a feel. <laughs> like it's like oh like at least maybe that feels productive if I bash that person who wants to ban guns right now. But that's not that's again that's not gonna stop this. Right, the person who wants to ban guns, if I bash that person, the other kid over here is still killing his mom and his dad and his sister and lighting the woods on fire to mow down his classmates. Right, like that this, this conversation over here doesn't stop that from happening. I don't know. I absolutely believe that we have a culture that celebrates um, murderers, right? 
<laughs> we have a culture that doesn't value life. We know that. We have a culture that celebrates murderers. I mean, think of the Boston bomber on the, on the cover of Rolling Stones for the love of Pete. Looking all like McSteamy. A culture that doesn't value life in the womb. So yeah, that, that, has, a, that has a corrosive effect. But in the end, the kid is sick. He needed serious mental treatment. So honestly, if we don't want to have one conversation, that will make the biggest difference at this point, other than everything else we always talk about, which is culture, family, virtue, um, community, right? Like all that stuff, the mental health issue. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what the changes look like. I don't know what changes to HIPAA laws would look like. I don't know who would be in charge of that. Like who's who's the person who determines that this person needs to be looked at. I, I don't know, but that's the key. I was on Fox Business Channel the other day, um, the day of the shooting. Was it the night of the shooting? Yeah, it must have been the night of the shooting. And uh, talked a little bit about mental health. And the person I was chatting with, the other person, um, talked about how we have to keep guns out of the hands of bad people or whatever. And I said, eh, yeah, I mean, of course, naturally, yes. But uh, that's impossible. I would rather focus on deterrence. I would, I would, if that person has a gun, which you can't stop them from doing, I would like, them, I would like to deter them from bringing that gun to a school. So if we can focus on mental health and we can focus on deterrence, then I think we can make a uh, a positive difference. But a speech from the president and a bill from Congress isn't going to solve anything. Not in and of itself. One eight eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I'll also leave you with this fact: you can do whatever you want with it. Since nineteen ninety three. Uh, 45% of Americans, let me say it like this, 45% of Americans think that gun crimes have gone up in the last 20 plus years. 45% of Americans think it's gone up. 39% think it stayed the same. So we're talking about 84, 85% of Americans think that gun crime has stayed the same or gotten worse. Uh, It's gone down. Gun crimes in the last 20 plus years have gone down. Still way too high, but I think it's important to note that reality. All right, 1-800-760, or excuse me, one 888 933 That's my segment about the bad guy. I want to chat about the heroes next. Mike Slater. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. Slater, because we'll go to uh, John, in the great state of Pennsylvania where I used to live. How are you, John? I'm doing good, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I hear every time this happens that all I hear you know, people, I, I'm a gun owner and you know, I believe in gun rights. And, you know, I believe in maybe arming some of the people who would possibly have some kind of a ex-military background and or training in schools and gun-free zones and things like that. But what always seems to never get brought up is why they don't, you know, do some middle-of-the-road measures. Like, I think every school teacher ought to have a can of, like, the, one of those large cans of mace, like it's called bear spray, 
Don't use that. A cloud. I carry a little key file. I own a business. I've been or I've been robbed by gunpoint, by the way. Uh, where you you press two little buttons at the same time, and there's a little sender that picks it up and sets off a silent alarm. But they don't have any even the minor like uh, doors that can be locked well in a school. Yeah. Uh, like from the inside, just little things like that. I mean, all the money they throw at these stupid things, and they want to put laws and take everybody's guns away, and all this stuff is not going to do anything. If they did some of these middle of the road things, you know, not you don't you don't say it because you know, somebody brought an AR-15 to school. Well, now every teacher has to have a bazooka to counter it. You know, what I mean, there's yeah. a lot of stuff. That can be done. If somebody sprayed off a can of bear spray, the worst thing that happened is it happened by accident. A couple of kids start crying and, and they go to the hospital, maybe. And if you know the guy is. Somebody had a can of bear spray in that classroom, sprayed it off. At least it would have distracted the guy. You know, yeah, you could have run away. Yeah, I, I really, John, I appreciate the call very much. Thanks. I, I think that's, that's a really good point. Just let's just brainstorm some basic things. You're right; it has to be one or the other. But I guess that's part of our culture too, right, John? Uh, it's you're either all in, you're either bazookas, every, arm every teacher with a bazooka, or ban all guns. Um, no, John, thanks for that. Um, when I was on Fox Business the other day, too, uh, made a point that we've made many times. Uh, these shooters don't want to fight. They want uh, a massacre. And we give it to them. Uh, because as John uh, rightly put up, we brought up, we don't do the basics. And you're right, even like doors in schools that lock, right? So a shooter couldn't just bust through all the classrooms or something like that. I mean, like basic, basic things, Right. So I don't know. I bet if we sat down here for an hour, or goodness, if you got this, you know, fifty law enforcement people, whatever, uh, with experience, you could sit down for a couple hours and come up with you know twenty good ideas that we could institute just you know tomorrow, and <laughs> everything would be fine. Um, let me share a story here real quick, and I want to uh, talk about Chris Mintz. I know you've heard a little bit about him. I want to chat a little bit more. Uh, but here's why Chris Mintz is the one of the heroes of the story. And I'm sure there's many more that we're never going to know. Uh, guys, what time do we go out? 12.29. Oh, okay. Mm. All right, I'll, tell, I'll show it in two quicks. Uh, I got this in two minutes. Uh, it's the Greek mythology, a story of Arachne. So Arachne was the best weaver in all of Greece. Now, if you were good at any art in Greece, you had to give credit to the gods, right? The gods gave you that, uh, that talent. So Athena was the goddess of wisdom and also of weaving. So Arachne was the best weaver in the country and the world, and she got really prideful. And she said, I'm better than, than Athena herself at weaving. She said, I taught myself how to weave. She didn't teach me anything. Super prideful. Long story short, Athena came down, and uh, they, they, they uh, had a spinoff. Right? The whole town got together to see who could weave the most beautiful tapestry. Now, in the end, of course, Athena, the goddess, won. And the punishment for Arachne was, gentlemen, do you have a guess what the punishment was for Arachne for challenging Athena and losing? Arachne, Arachne, Arachne. Arachne Turned into a spider? Bingo. Turned into a spider. Hence, arachnophobia. Here's why I share this story, though. Athena, the goddess, her tapestry, obviously it was stunning, unlike anything anyone's ever seen. But the pictures she showed in the tapestry were of things that, great things that the gods have done, right? They were, the, the pictures were of heroic scenes of the gods doing inspirational, wonderful, amazing things. Arachne's tapestry, not, it was nice, but not even as beautiful, but 
the th- pictures that she depicted were of people's failings, bad things people have done. And Athena said, there's no pleasure in working for others unless truth and beauty enter into all which we do. I want to focus and tell stories and paint pictures like Athena did of beautiful, great, inspirational things. And we should tell you what Chris Mintz did next. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. We have a ton to do today. Um, let me do one last segment here about uh, the shooting because I want to give equal attention, more. excuse me, way, way more attention to the good guys, to the heroes, uh, to the helpers uh, in this story. Again, uh, we, just, as we were chatting about the other day, or just uh, the other day, uh, a couple of minutes ago, uh, Athena and her tapestry, not only was it beautiful, but what she depicted on the tapestry was of beautiful things. Right, the gods doing inspirational, wonderful things. And Arachne, it was a nice tapestry, but the scenes were of things that people did wrong, failures, errors of other people. And uh, Athena won the contest, and Arachne turned into a spider. But it's a story about using your talents and skills to serve others, of course, and not to be boastful and proud. But the lesson for me and, and this show here is I want to only share stories like those portrayed in Athena's tapestry, stories of heroism and courage and triumph and not fall into the trap of telling stories like on Arachne's tapestry, because I don't think that's the American story. I don't think we're defined. I mean, do you, do you think we're defined by this shooter or are we defined by Chris Mintz? Are we defined by someone who, is mentally unwell, broken family, idolized the Nazis, right? And and you know praised the Charleston shooter and and these other guys. Are we defined by that, or are we defined by Army veteran Chris Mintz, who's who's going back to school so he can be a better dad and provider for his six year old son? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. So Chris Mintz, the night before this all happened, he posted a happy birthday happy birthday message to his little boy. Went to bed, woke up, went to school, and he was in the same room with the shooter. Like I said, he's an Army veteran. Two different versions of what Chris has done. I don't know if uh, today, if uh, this has been confirmed, which of these two, or perhaps a third variation. But his cousin says he, he charged after the shooter. His aunt said that he tried to block the door and keep the gunman from entering the room, which I suppose he could have done both. But either way, the point is he ran to the fire. Ran to the gunshots because he wasn't about to stand by and let something horrific happen to other people. That defines who we are. That's a scene depicted on Athena's tapestry and the American story. He was shot five times, twice while he was laying on the ground, and both of his legs were broken. I have no idea how that could have happened. How do you break both your legs in something like this? I look forward to finding... uh, the complete story. And I think one of the craziest things about what happened in Oregon 
is, do you remember the uh, the three Marines, of course, on the train in Paris who took down the terrorists, right? The terrorist who was going to kill easily 100 people. So they saved 100 lives at least. One of those guys is currently enrolled at that community college in Oregon. And the reason he's not there is because he's on Dancing with the Stars. So if he wasn't asked to be on Dancing with the Stars, then he would be at that school right now. Could you imagine that? Here's what he said. He said, while I was fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time in August aboard a train in Paris, I only wish that the same could be said for today. How about that? How about that for a man? My regret is that I wasn't where the murderer was a second time in my life. My regret is that I didn't hear gunshots go off in my proximity again. My regret is that I didn't have the opportunity to take down a second shooter trying to kill me and others. That's a regret that he has. As opposed to saying, man, can you believe I was in the, in the wrong place, wrong time in August, and, uh, but, but thank goodness I wasn't there this time. Not quite the opposite. Right place, right time in August. And I wish I could have been there the other day. That's what I'm talking about. Got a couple minutes. I'll, I'll we'll chat about uh, deterrence because I think we need to hear more of these stories because we never do. Right? We always hear shooters taking down unarmed people, um, but we never we never hear about people shooting their gun to defend themselves. Not often. Martha Lewis, 3 a.m. Her home in Alabama. Heard a bump in the night. Grabbed her gun. She and her two daughters. Their bedrooms are upstairs. The man started to walk up the stairs. She pointed the gun at him and he said, would you shoot me? And she said, I don't, I don't want to, but I will. The man kept walking up the stairs and that's when he, uh, she shot him. And this is what she said. She said, it wasn't like, ooh, can I pull the trigger? It was, when should I? When will he be close enough that I know I won't miss him? Atlanta, 77-year-old grandmother. Someone threw a brick through her window and started to crawl through. She shot him twice. She said, I don't try to talk to nobody breaking in. He didn't have no business back there by my window. Do you remember the Oregon mall shooter a couple years back? Ah, maybe 2003? Remember this? There was a uh, shooter went through the mall shooting people, and there was a concealed carry holder there. I think he was 22 at the time. He was with his wife and baby. And he told him to go hide behind a pillar. And he went to go find the shooter. And he lined up his shot. Right, He was ready to fire. But he didn't because he didn't know who was behind the shooter. Right? And everyone knows, you take a gun safety class, you got to know what's behind what you're shooting at. So instead he took cover in the store. But you know what? A couple seconds later, the next shot that this guy heard was the gunman killing himself. Why? Because when he was lining up his shot, they made eye contact. And the gunman knew. This this is what I said on Fox Business the other day. Like, these guys don't want to fight. So without firing a shot, this concealed carry holder was able to end this entire massacre. 
without even firing a shot. Just the, the gunman knowing that there's someone there who can fight back, he knew that was the end. He said, I'm out of here now. That was it. That was, that was the last shot. He didn't even have to fire a shot. He was just there. Oklahoma City. uh, 18-year-old mom, three-month-old son. Two intruders came in. And she went to go hide in her room. She called 911, grabbed her shotgun, and asked the operator if she can shoot these guys. And the operator said, I can't tell you that you can do that, but you do what you have to do to protect your baby. Man came in the room, opened up the closet door. She shot him. She says, I wouldn't have done it, but it was my son. It's not an easy decision to make, but it was either going to be him or my son. And it wasn't going to be my son. Dallas, woman home alone. Two men kicked in her door. They came upstairs. The woman shot them when they were on the landing. They both ran out the door. One collapsed in the front yard. He was armed himself. Still ran when someone shot at him. Oklahoma, a 12-year-old girl was home alone. Stranger rang the doorbell. She didn't answer, of course. He came around the back door, broke it down. She called her mom. Mom told her to go get the family gun, go hide in the closet, call it 911. He came into the room, opened up the closet door, and she shot him. He ran. Police caught him down the block. I share these in the millions more. The guns are tools of defense. In August, when that uh, terrorist attack was stopped by those three Americans on the train, we, uh, my local show here, we organized some Krav Maga classes for listeners. Krav Maga is like the Israeli self-defense. The self-defense isn't quite the right word, but sort of. Um, K-R-A-V, Krav Maga, M-A-G-A. So we, t- we took these classes, I don't know, 50 people showed up, um, for people who don't want to be uh, sheep anymore. Or who don't want to be sitting dogs, people who want to be sheepdogs. So I encourage you to, to, in this case, hopefully use this as inspiration, what happened in Oregon, to take a gun class at your local gun range. I beg of you. I beg of you. No one's going to tell you to do that, right? Like The president's not going to come out and say, American people, there are bad people. In this world, many of them live here in this country, and many of them somehow find guns. And they're willing to do bad things with these guns. I would encourage you to go find your local gun range and take a class and take a self-defense class. Learn how these guns work. Learn that they're not scary if you know how to use them. Take a gun safety class with your kids. Help your kids understand what guns are, how dangerous they can be, how useful they can be. president's not ever going to say that right so i will go now this weekend today tomorrow at the very least get your family together tonight around the dinner table and say guys what do you think about taking a a gun safety class and if you're like ah slater i've taught my kids all about guns they know everything take another one (laughs) take another one take an official gun safety class and see what you all can learn together that's Guaranteed, then, if you do, guaranteed at least something, something good can come out of it. Doesn't make up for it, of course. Something good can come, and that's up to you. And that's not up to Congress. That's not up to the president. No one has to pass a bill. There's no committees that need to be made. That's just your decision.
1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. idea what we're going to do next um we can either talk about michael crichton and a speech he gave about global warming which is fantastic and i love every word of it or we can talk about bill nye the science guy bill 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 and his video on abortion and i and i despise every word of it um so we can break i don't know we'll do i guess we'll do both for the rest of the show i just don't know what to do next um I don't know. I guess it will decide during the top of the hour. Until then, I want to play this uh, clip here. Uh, Flip, let me know when you uh, get this. This is a Ben Carson. Um, I wish... Oh, do you have it now? Look at that. Unbelievable how quick that is. Ben Carson on CNN, ladies and gentlemen. Now, the, the argument is that none of the federal money pays for abortion that is separate funding, and that by defunding Planned Parenthood, you would be eliminating all these other vital medical procedures, which you as a doctor... Uh, no, I know you oppose legal abortion, but what's your response to, to uh, Ms. Legance? My response would be that uh, all of the uh, services that she mentioned uh, are available through multiple other sources. And to take an organization that not only makes money by selling baby parts, but doesn't seem to understand the sanctity of human life and is willing to destroy that, an organization whose founder believed in eugenics. You're talking about Margaret Sanger. Yes, and even to the, the plurality of their clinics are in minority communities. Mm -hmm. Well, doesn't that make the argument that they would make, which is that the services that you're talking about, forget abortion for a second, but the services you're talking about are not available everywhere, and that's where minorities and, and uh, people who are lower income get mammograms and treatment for STDs and birth control, et cetera. Uh, I, be I thought that they were supposed to be able to get all of those things based on Obamacare. Boom! Why do we need you can stop it right that? there. Stop it right there. Look at that. I thought I was supposed to get all that from Obamacare. A couple things here. First of all, uh, Planned Parenthood does not provide mammograms. They've never provided mammograms. None of their locations do they provide mammograms. No mammograms. They do not provide mammograms. End of story, period. No mammograms at Planned Parenthood. Everyone needs to get that straight. Second thing on... Um, Tapper's first point. Money is fungible. I wish every politician, every person on the internet, TV, radio, talk about fungible. Money is fungible. If you let me borrow 20 bucks and I go spend that $20 and then a week later I get my paycheck and I go to the bank and I get another $20 bill out and I give it to you, no one has ever said, wait a second, this isn't the same $20 I gave you last week. Of course not, because money is fungible. It's interchangeable. So when we give federal money to Planned Parenthood and they give it to pregnancy tests, they take all the money that they were going to spend on pregnancy tests and spend it on abortions. Money is fungible. It's interchangeable. There is no, it's impossible to separate our federal money from abortions or anything else they do there. It is impossible. 
because money is fungible. Third point. The amount of Planned Parenthoods versus uh, community health clinics. I saw, um, blah, 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 blah. Oh, darn it, what's his name? Um, running for president, ran a couple times already. More of the social conservative guy. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Uh, he was on The View. Rick Santorum. Sorry about that. Rick Santorum. He said there were 13 Planned Parenthoods in Iowa, 243 community health centers <laughs> who, who actually provide mammograms and have the added benefit of not killing babies. So I did the same thing here in San Diego. There's uh, 12 Planned Parenthoods in San Diego County. 12. But in San Diego County, there's 12 um, community health centers in Escondido, 15 in San Diego City, 13 in Chula Vista, 10 in San Marcos, 8 in Encinitas, 15 in Oceanside. These are all the towns in San Diego County. You get the idea. There's plenty of women's health centers and clinics all across the entire country. There's 13,000 compared to 900 Planned Parenthoods. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. San Diego's America's finest city. Excuse me. I, on my show, I say San Diego's America's finest city. Sorry. Uh, Blaze, we just stop at America's the greatest country in the world. Uh, want to... Uh, we took a vote here in the studio. Uh, we're going to go with Michael Crichton first. And we'll do Bill Nye in the next hour. The president and the pope were at the U.N. Uh, talking about climate change. And I guess coming up soon, there's something like the Paris Agreement or something. And it's blah, blah, whatever. More global warming nonsense. So Michael Crichton. He is one of the most impressive people in the last 50 years. And I don't think he gets nearly Enough credit for it. Michael Crichton is the only person to have the number one TV show, the number one movie, and the number one book in the country at the same time. Think about that. At the same time, he had Jurassic Park, number one movie, uh, Disclosure, the number one book, and ER, the number one uh, TV show. Crazy. He also went to uh, Harvard and Harvard Medical School, so an incredibly impressive person. He gave a speech at Caltech in 2003. He passed away uh, in 2008. Uh, he was 66, I think, from cancer. So again, bringing this up here, this speech now, uh, because of the, the Paris Agreement and global it's a glo- You know what it is? It's going to be another global warming agreement without the uh, Congress's authority. He's going to treat it like the Iran deal. So all these global carbon regulations based off this just, well, you decide. Michael Crichton, this speech. He is one of those global warming skeptics. First point here. Since when did skeptic become a dirty word in science. 
right? When did skeptic require quotation marks around it? That's an absurd concept. And then you also have the left saying there's a consensus. And if you're not a part of the consensus, then you're a skeptic. And Crichton's point, one of his main points, is that the track record of consensus in science is nothing to be proud of. Let's start with one of the greatest killers of women in human history. Childbirth. There was a time in American in, in world history where one in six women died of fever during childbirth. One in six. In 1795, Alexander Gordon suggested that this fever had something to do with a bacterial infection. And the consensus said no. 1843, Oliver Wendell Holmes said it was a bacterial infection that caused the fever, and the consensus said no. In 1849, a, a German scientist or Austrian scientist, uh, Semmelweis, said that it was probably because of a bacterial infection. And the consensus was that he was a Jew. It took 125 years, 125, for consensus to arrive at the right conclusion about fever during childbirth. And in the end, it was the skeptics who were right. The ones who were demeaned and ignored. 125 years. That's a lot of women who died during childbirth whose lives could have been saved if the consensus listened to the skeptics. Another example. Take a look at a globe. You'll see that uh, South America and Africa seem to fit together quite nicely. Alfred Weniger proposed in 1912 that the continents used to be connected and then have since then uh, drifted apart. Well, that ridiculous theory was sneered at by all the great names of geology until 1961 when it began to seem like the seafloors were indeed spreading. So 50 years it took to acknowledge what, as, uh, as Crichton says, any schoolchild can see that the continents fit together <laughs> nicely and uh, were probably all connected at one point. It took 50 years for consensus to come around to that. I'll give you one of my own examples. I'm listening right now to a, uh, uh, a college lecture on ancient Greece. And the professor said, if you walked into a leading university in the world in 1850, which is not too long ago, 150-ish years ago, walked into one of the leading universities in the world, and you said, Professor, Homer wrote about these different places in the Iliad and the Odyssey. Can you tell me where they are? Can you point to them on a map? And the professor would have said, oh, you, you silly child, those are just stories. Right? That's just poetry. That's just mythology. There, there's, these places don't exist. These aren't real places. <laughs> That's cute of you, though, to think there are. And then a German businessman, Heinrich Schleimann, 1870. He never, he never even went to college. He didn't even have a university degree. He believed Homer. And he went out looking for Troy, the city of Troy. So he went to where he thought Troy might be, started digging, and sure enough, found Troy. And then he said, well, I found Troy. I'm going to go find Mycenae. And then he went and he found the city of Mycenae. Think about it. This was 150 years ago. For thousands of years, consensus was from the finest university scholars of, of, of ancient history and Greek history 
The consensus was that these places didn't exist, and some guy found them. <laughs> and, that, and that consensus is like, oh, okay, fine, I guess that. Uh. So my point is consensus alone isn't an argument. And consensus indeed can be a very dangerous thing. And it has no place in science. It has no place. And I mean that, think about it, no one ever says, well, the uh, consensus of scientists agree that E equals MC squared. Like, no, no one talks like that. The consensus is that the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. No, consensus is only used on situations where the science alone isn't solid enough. And climate change is one of those things. Consensus is only used when the person who's, who's using it doesn't have enough science to stand on alone. And he wants to silence you and demean you and call you a skeptic or even worse, a denier like a Holocaust denier. That's when someone uses the word consensus. It has no place in science. I want to make a few more points here in this hour, but I, I got to end uh, this segment on this note here. What do you think the world is going to look like? In a hundred years. What's the world going to look like in a hundred years? Heck, what's the weather going to be tomorrow? Like, like, we have no idea. Do you know if you took someone in 1900? Let's say you went back in time. And you're talking to someone in 1900. hundred years ago. hundred fifteen years ago. And you asked them what the biggest problem was in the country. Do you know what they'd say? Horse poop. Not even kidding. Horse poop. In the cities, you got around by horse. The more people there were, the more horses you need, and there was nowhere left to put the horse poop. I'm not even kidding. Scientists and, and city planners talked about the maximum size that cities could grow because there's only so many horses that you can have because there's we, we nowhere else to put the poop. So they said, well, New York City can only be 500,000 people. That's it. That's all the people we can have because that's all the horses we can have. And that's it. That's the maximum size of this city. And it wasn't a few years later when no one rode horses anymore. Except for sport, of course. But that's it. No one, no one, like, there were no more horses in New York City. Just a couple of years after, they were worried that there'd be no more room for people. France currently gets 75% of its power from an energy source that did not exist in 1900. Nuclear power. People in 1900 didn't even know what an atom was. If I may quote from Michael Crichton, he says, people in 1900, they also didn't know what a radio was or an airport or a movie or a television or a computer or a cell phone or a jet or an antibiotic or a rocket or a satellite. Or an MRI, an ICU, an IUD, an IBM, IRA, ERA, EEG, EPA, IRS, DOD, PCP, HTML, Internet, Instant Replay, Remote Sensing, Remote Control, Speed Dialing, Gene Therapy, Gene Splicing, Gene Spot Welding, Heat Seeking, Bipolar, Prozac, Leotards, Email, Tape Recorders, CDs, Airbags, Plastic Explosives, Plastics, Robots, Cars, Liposuction, Dish Antenna, Step Aerobics, Smoothies, 12-Step, Ultrasound, Nylon, Raylon, Teflon, Fiber Optics, Carpal Tunnel, Laser Surgery, Corneal transplant, kidney transplant, AIDS. None of these things would have made any sense to a person in the year 1900. 
Now, you tell me you can predict the world of 2100. Our president seems to think that he knows what the world will look like and should look like. And he's determined to make it so. Even if it's going to cost you trillions. And even if, as we've talked about many times on this show before, even if this obsession is going to deny the third world their industrial revolution, if we're going to deny the third world fossil fuels, which will result in abject poverty for them and also higher food prices. We're going to do it anyway, and we're going to do it all based on consensus. An absolute, incredible scam. Now, you may still not believe me. I want to give you an example of another scam next. A scam that was pitched to the American people not too long ago. The exact same script. As climate change. The ex- I'm not talking about the global ice age. Even before that. The exact same. It's like a game of Mad Libs. You just change out the nouns and the verbs. But it's the exact same thing. To give you that example. Next. On the Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. Huh. Just read this on Twitter, like literally right right now. Uh, Nathaniel said this this we were chatting about the shooter uh, shooting earlier. He said when a nation glorifies death enough to hashtag shout your abortion, death will reveal uh, will revel in its glory with events like the Oregon shooting. I uh think that is true retweet uh talking about global warming here though particularly a speech given by uh, michael Crichton, caltech in 2003 pick up where we left off we're talking about how this script this global warming climate change script has been done before it's just a game of mad libs at this point take out the nouns and verbs switch them up with the new ones and it was done the uh, exact same way about 40 years ago with nuclear winter So Michael Crichton cites the uh, National Academy of Sciences. They had a report called The Long-Term Worldwide Effects of Multiple Nuclear Weapon Detonations. This was in 1975. And that study said that the effects would be relatively minor. Then, 1979, another report came out from the Office of Technology Assessment. They said that the effects of nuclear war would be irreversible. be horrible. Everyone would be dead and it would be irreversible. Three years later, 1982, the Swedish Academy of Sciences published The Atmosphere After a Nuclear War, Twilight at Noon. And the argument would be that there'd be so much smoke from a nuclear war that a giant cloud would form over the Northern Hemisphere, and it would reduce so much of the sunlight that photosynthesis would be impossible, and all the plants would die, all of every single plant would die, and then all the animals, of course, would follow. The next year, five more studies came out with the same conclusion. 
Carl Sagan said that a 5,000 megaton or 5,000 megatons of blast, that's about 300 nuclear bombs, would drop the temperature of the Earth 35 degrees. Now, the Ice Age was about 10 degrees colder than it is right now. So, right, so nuclear, 35 degrees colder. That's a nuclear winter. So we got two things already. We got a scary potential and we got a catchy name. Now it's time for the media tour. So Carl Sagan and Paul Ehrlich published uh, an article in Parade Magazine. Then they had a big conference in D.C. Uh, Sagan was on Johnny Carson Tonight Show 40 times. Ehrlich was on 25 times. Michael Crichton says this is not the way science is done. This is the way products are sold. Now, you remember Paul Ehrlich. This is the guy who wrote Population Bomb and... uh, making all these crazy claims about how there's too many people and we're going to run out of food and everyone's going to starve to death. He claimed that after a nuclear bomb, nothing would grow. He said no food would grow for 75 years. And he was at a a press conference event thing. And someone stood up and said, well, okay, but in Nagasaki, there there was food growing the next year. So you say it's going to take 75 years, but you know a bomb was dropped on a city and food was growing the next year. You know what his response was? He said, quote, what we are doing here is presenting a consensus of a very large group of scientists. Ah, consensus. There it is. The consensus. It's the magic word. You just say consensus. And all, any, any challenging claim, any question, <laughs> a genuine, honest question, it's shot down with one word, consensus. And if that's not enough, they call you a skeptic. And then that's, I mean, that's, that shuts everyone up. But again, as we talked about in the last segment, since when did being a skeptic be a bad thing in science? But here we are. There's a consensus about nuclear winter. Same thing today. Now, this is the key point about this segment. After this nuclear winter foolishness started to die down, and it didn't just die down because the the thought of a nuclear war went down. It's because the science of it started to break down. So as it started to, to deteriorate, all these other respected scientists emerged from their holes. Well, let me quote one of them. This is uh, Freeman Dyson, one of the greatest physicists of our time. He said... As a scientist, I want to rip the theory of nuclear winter apart. But as a human being, I want to believe it. He said, this is one of the rare instances of a genuine conflict between the demands of science and the demands of humanity. As a scientist, I judge the nuclear winter theory to be a sloppy piece of work, full of gaps and unjustified assumptions. As a human being, I hope fervently that it's right. So here's an uncomfortable dilemma. What does a scientist do when science and humanity pull in opposite directions? I'll tell you what you do, professor. You go with the truth. You go with the truth. He said, um, he was asked why he didn't speak up about this. You know, when, when Sagan's on Johnny Carson for the 40th time talking about it. And he said, quote, it is an absolutely atrocious piece of science. 
But who wants to be accused of being in favor of nuclear war? I suggest the same thing's happening today. Scientists, good scientists out there know, many scientists know, that the global warming science is sloppy at best, fraudulent at worst. But who wants to be in favor of the end of the world as it's being described? Who wants to be in favor of sea levels rising? Who wants to be called a skeptic and put on par with a Holocaust denier? No one. Nuclear winter went out of style uh, when Sagan was on Nightline. And he said that the Kuwaiti oil fires would produce a nuclear winter effect and cause a year without summer. That didn't happen. So now the nuclear winter's over, what's the next imaginary hobgoblin? Here we are. Are we going to fall for this again? Slater Radio on Twitter, Mike Slater Show The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. the next generation of talk radio this is mike slater wow i was just uh listening to this video on hannity or from hannity i was watching it on youtube from hannity the other day of a air force veteran who was on the campus in oregon who was armed and not allowed to assist the victims during the shooting he had a gun he was trained clearly and the, the people there wouldn't let him, somehow they detained him, or not detained, that's a strong word, but uh, prevented him from going to help. That is, that is so infuriating. We neuter our service members when they're abroad with our rules of engagement. We morally neuter them with policies like we talked about last week, allowing child rape on, Afghan, uh, on, on American military bases in Afghanistan. Knowing those two things, is there any surprise that we don't allow armed and trained veterans to help in an emergency? For the love of Pete, we don't let soldiers carry on military bases. Think Fort Hood and Chattanooga. Why do we treat our veterans with such unbelievable disrespect? We train them to be the the most morally superior and physically and intellectually strong men and women in the world. And then we don't, we, we don't let them carry when they're on an American military base. We, we put them in positions where they have to listen to boys being raped abroad. And we don't let them shoot unless shot at first. Go get them, boys. Unbelievable. I just put a Facebook post about this um, on our uh, Facebook page. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. All right, one last segment here on... Um, a global warming uh, inspired by this Michael Crichton speech that he gave in 2003 at Caltech saying that global warming is a total scam. It fits the same playbook of uh, a couple other scams from the last uh, couple of decades here in America. Yeah, I mentioned a name in, in passing a little bit ago. 
And I want to go a little deeper into this. Um, remember I said that one of the greatest killers in uh, of women in human history is childbirth. One in six women died of fever during childbirth. Isn't that amazing? And in 1975, a guy by the name of Alexander Gordon said, hey, maybe it has something to do with bacterial infection. And the consensus said no. And then in 1843, Oliver Wendell Holmes said, maybe it has something to do with bacterial infection. And the consensus said no. Because again, the left today with climate change, they say, oh, consensus says, and that's just supposed to stop debate. Consensus isn't always right. Actually, consensus has a pretty terrible track record. In 1849, Semmelweis says maybe it had some, it has something to do with bacterial infection. And the consensus was that he was a Jew. And it took 125 years for the consensus to arrive at the right conclusion that indeed the fever during childbirth was from a bacterial infection. I want to talk about Semmelweis. No one listened to him because he was Jewish. But this man changed the world with three simple words. What three words did this man use that changed the world as we know it and saved countless women's lives from that point on? Three words. Let me back it up. May 15th, 1850. He was a doctor at the Vienna General Hospital. And he would deliver babies. And again, well, here's the deal. I actually take back the fact I said before. If a baby was born at home, the mom died one out of every thousand births. But when the baby was born in a hospital, it was one out of every six. And Semmelweis was watching this. He's saying, what is going on? And, and when I say die of fever, it wasn't just the fever. I mean, excuse the graphic nature of this, but just pus emanating from the, just horrible abscesses just in the abdomen and the chest. And uh, the women would get sepsis and, and, and they would die. And the good thing was it was within 24 hours. And that was the only good thing about it, that it was 24 hours and not longer. But uh, fever was just part of it. And no doctor had any idea why this was happening. And when anyone had an idea, they were shot down because it was different from consensus. But you know what? The consen- there was no consensus. That was the, thing. the consensus was, well, it's not bacterial infection. That was the consensus. They still had no idea what it was, though. So you know what Semmelweis said? He said, hey, guys, maybe, maybe you should wash your hands. Those were the three words that some of us says that changed the world. Wash your hands. Why? Because the medical students and professors and doctors at these uh, elite hospitals, including the Vienna one, would begin the day with autopsies, barehanded, mostly on women who died the night before. And then, after dealing with the dead bodies, they would walk down the hall and help a woman deliver a baby. And Semmelweis was the first person to say, hey, wash your hands. Otherwise, we're going to be spreading what he called a morbid poison from one person to the next. And the poison turned out to be a certain bacteria that we now know the name of, which is exactly what some other men have been saying for uh, about 100 years prior. It's a bacterial infection. So think about this. Like, What? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? 
You mean to tell me, Slater, these doctors would would deal with dead, they'd handle touch dead bodies and then walk down the hall and deliver a baby and they wouldn't wash their hands? Mm-hmm. What year is this? Like 1400 they did this? No, no, like 1860. <laughs> not that long ago, 150 years ago? It's not that long. And they weren't washing their hands. Why not? Because doctors were offended at the suggestion that they were the ones who caused their patients' deaths. Think about that. They were offended that they, that someone was accusing them of killing their patients. How dare you, Semmelweis? How dare you tell me that I'm giving this, this woman this, this fever that she ultimately would die from? You know what happened to Semmelweis? Kicked out of the hospital. He was fired. Fired for suggesting that they wash their hands. Even after his medical students, he had them wash their hands. And the cases of fever for his patients went down dramatically. It didn't matter. He was still fired. All of it because, again, the arrogance of, of the other people there, but also because he was Jewish. And, and um, washing hands was seen as a Jewish superstition. It took 13 years before this was finally accepted. But by then, Semmelweis was committed to an insane asylum after a mental breakdown, and he died there two weeks later. And it's believed he died from blood poisoning. Why? Because the doctor who treated him in the insane asylum didn't wash his hands. <laughs> what? So again, we talk about science. First of all, we think we're so enlightened in 2015. We think we've, we've got it all figured out. I'll tell you what. We think we have it all figured out just as much as the doctors in the Vienna Hospital in 1850 thought they all had it all figured out. I can't wait for the day when people 150 years from now look back at us and be like, oh my gosh, can you believe what they used? It's, it's going to be just as crazy. They didn't even have the insight to wash their hands. Something is so obvious, so natural, so second nature to us, so common sense. And in 1860, it got this doctor fired. The arrogance of the doctors back then. By the way, I think 150 years from now, People are going to look back at us and say, yeah, can you believe that they used to have a, a, a abortion? Can you believe that, that they used to be a thing? I think people 150 years from now are going to look back at us the same way we look back at people uh, who had slaves. Right? People today say, well, listen, I agree with Thomas Jefferson, but man, that guy was a slave owner. I just, Or I agree with this person, this founding father, but man, he continued to compromise and allow the practice of, of slavery. I think people in 150 years, if sooner hopefully, are going to look back at us and say, man, I agree with him, but he allowed abortion to continue. And I, or I like what he says about this, but man, this, that's the president who, who compromised and allowed the federal government to pay for abortion. How could they think that that was right? And people are going to say, well, that was the culture back then, or whatever, right? It's the same thing. I really think it's going to be the same thing. That's what I pray for anyway. I, I pray that not killing babies in the womb one day will be as obvious as washing your hands. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Write that down. I pray that not killing babies in the womb will be as obvious as washing your hands. one 900
33-93. Point is, consensus is often wrong. Oh, one, one, last, one last thing. Um, the whole thing about Semmelweis being Jewish. He, he wasn't Jewish. He was Catholic. But again, because washing hands was considered a Jewish superstition, the anti-Semitism stuck, even though he wasn't Jewish. Amazing. So when you're in a bathroom now and you see a sign that says employees must wash their hands, you can think, Semmelweis. 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on the Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, we will wrap it up with this. Um, I want to play a clip here. We're talking about global warming and really just the, the concept of consensus versus skeptics. Um, we were talking about nuclear winter earlier and how climate change today is the exact same script as nuclear winter. Just change out some nouns and verbs here and there. Uh, I want to end with Carl Sagan. This is a clip of Carl Sagan with Ted Turner on CNN in uh, 1989, he's in the middle. Uh, I cut in the middle of the sentence. He's in the middle of outlining what would happen when Nation A launches an attack on uh, Nation B, and then the, uh, the effect of that comes back around, and everyone ends up dying. Here it is. The smoke that gets raised over Nation B circulates around the world, covers Nation A. Nation A gets cold and dark, and the agriculture fails, and uh, Nation A has destroyed itself by launching a nuclear war on a nation B. The main consequence of, uh, of nuclear winter is uh, massive agricultural failures. And uh, many international uh, study groups have now concluded that the, uh, the net result in mass starvation can account for many billions of lives. Well, there's only five billion. How many is many? Well, hard to quantify, but you're absolutely right. It's <laughs> I love a big fraction of the human community, and that's the long-term effect. And the prompt effects, you know, you're going to kill many hundreds of millions, maybe one or two billion people, in the direct consequence of a nuclear war. So it now appears that uh, that nuclear war certainly will destroy the, the nations involved with the nuclear war, almost certainly will destroy the global civilization, and might just possibly destroy the human species. So that's another uh, calibration of how serious the stakes are these days, how high the stakes are, because of our technology. Nuclear war has put us in a position to do utter devastation to our species. Putting greenhouse gases in the atmosphere promises, if that's the right word, uh, a global catastrophe, not just uh, destruction of, uh, of farmland, uh, flooding, some places drought, other places rise in sea level, inundation of coastal cities all over the planet. That's serious stuff. None of that nuclear winter stuff was true. None of it. Remember the physicist we quoted earlier, he said, I judge the nuclear winter theory to be a sloppy piece of work full of gaps and unjustified assumptions. That's what you just heard right there from Sagan. Uh, but everyone was captivated, captivated by it. Now, 
that's no longer a concern. Not because people aren't concerned that nuclear bombs are going to go off, but because even if they do, the nuclear winter thing won't happen. <laughs> but but he was hedging his bets still after that, right? Because if it wasn't nuclear winter that was going to kill all of us, then it's going to be global warming. Greenhouse gases, another hoax, another scam. I also love the line when he says, uh, oh, we're talking many billions of lives. <laughs> and it takes country bumpkin Ted Turner to say, well, wait a second, there's only five billion so how many, how many is many? And saying in Batchise, well, a couple hundred million. Give me a break. Global the, the science today is full. The consensus is full of things that can't be proven. That's not science. That's religion. Atone for your sins, you apostate, or the state will condemn condemn you for it. And it's really, it's, it's not science. Science has to be testable and it has to be falsifiable. Can't do that with global warming. It's not science. Speaking of not science, uh, coming up next, I want to chat about Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, diving into the abortion debate. Talked with a gentleman yesterday, truly one of the most brilliant men in America, uh, Robert George, about when life begins. And he gave in two minutes the most brilliant answer I've ever heard in my life. We'll play that for you. And also Bill Nye's video on when he thinks he thinks life begins. I'll tell you, this is an argument I've never heard in my entire life. Bonus points to Bill Nye for originality. Play it for you next. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Flip the tube on there, will you, Herb? Oh, there's never anything new on TV, Don. Hey, at least we can warm our feet by it. Seen it. Seen it. Seen it. What is it? You okay, Don? Yeah, I guess so. What do you think of this channel? Well, my feet are warm. And now, the one you've heard about, the one you've been waiting for, the quarterback of questions, the King Kong of knowledge, the Duke of discovery, the giantest of scientists, the Elvis of experimentation, the B-Man himself. Ladies and gentlemen, we give you the one and only... Me, Beekman. And you've just broken into Beekman's world. This, this right here, this was my jam growing up Saturday morning. Beekman's world, gentlemen. Do were you guys Beekman's world? Did you ever? Do you remember the show at all? Oh yeah, I remember it. You do? Okay, good. I want to make sure I'm the only one. This is it. Beekman's World. If you're not familiar, a kid's science show. Tons of fun. I would watch it uh, with my dad growing up. 
And I was wondering the other day, whatever happened to Beekman? And it turns out the guy's name is Paul Zaloom. He's not, a, he's that safe, not really Beekman. And he's not really a scientist. A little bit of my childhood is crushed. According to his Wikipedia page, he's an actor and a puppeteer, and he lives in Long Island, and he's a performance artist. A little bit of me died inside. I thought Beekman was an actual scientist. And I also thought that he had a giant fat rat as a sidekick. I bring that up because a little bit of my childhood died when I found that out the other day. And a little bit of my childhood dies every time I hear Bill Nye open up his mouth as well. The other Saturday morning children's show scientist guy. <laughs> Him and Beekman's world. I wonder what their ratings were compared to... I mean, Bill Nye was on PBS, wasn't he? At least Beekman was on CBS. Brought real, a real channel. These two childhood scientists of mine. One turns out not to be a scientist, and the other, eh, not really a scientist either. So Bill Nye lately started talking out about global warming, which we talked about in the last hour. But now he's talking about abortion. So I want to play some videos, some clips of this video here. We're going to do a little start and stop. Uh, this video is called, Can We Stop Telling Women What to Do With Their Bodies? Let's kick off uh, the first part of this video here, sir. Many, 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 many more hundreds of eggs are fertilized than become humans. Eggs get fertilized, and by that I mean sperm get accepted by ova a lot. But that's not all you need. You have to attach to the uterine wall, the inside of, the, of a, a womb, a woman's womb. But if you're going to hold that as a standard, that is to say, if you're going to say <clears throat> when an egg is fertilized, it's therefore all, has the same rights as an individual, then who are you gonna, whom are you going to sue? Whom are you going to imprison? Every woman who's had a fertilized egg pass through her? Every guy whose sperm has fertilized an egg and then it didn't become a human. Have all these people failed you? Uh, it's just a reflection of a deep scientific lack of understanding. And uh, you, you, you literally or you apparently literally don't know what you're talking about. Okay, we've got to stop here. The only reason that I, I want to give this the light of day, the only reason, is because I have never heard that argument in my entire life. And I think you're going to hear it a lot more, and I don't want you to be caught off guard when it matters. So the argument that... So I want, you're right, I want you to be bewildered and puzzled and confused now, right? because, because it's very bewildering and puzzling and confusing. Uh, but then when someone makes it in real life, you, you'll have heard it already. You'll be a little more prepared. So the argument that Bill Nye is making is essentially... Abortion is okay because eggs that get fertilized often don't become babies for any number of reason. And what are you going to do? Arrest those women? What are you going to do? Arrest women who have a miscarriage? No. <laughs> no, Bill. No, we are not going to arrest women whose fertilized egg does not attach to her uterine wall. We are not going to do that. And no one ever in the world has ever suggested such a ridiculous thing. 
And I find it really difficult to believe, Bill Nye, the science guy, that you can't see the difference between a premeditated, I'm not even going to say, I'm not, I'm not even going to say killing of a life. I'm not even going to go there right now. Just a premeditated disposal of fertilized, of a fertilized egg. Mm, that's PC, right? Compared to the uh, natural failure, failure of life during a miscarriage or anything else like that. If you can't tell the difference between intentional and unintentional, I mean, I, I can't help you. That's a really hard argument that Bill and I just made. Really hard argument to refute because it's so absurd and self-evident. I mean, let's say someone's driving a car and they have a stroke and they drive into a house. I don't think the person, like, can the, the person who owns the house sue the guy? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, he had a stroke, you know, or a heart attack or something. But if you're drinking and driving and you go and you run into a house, well, that's a different story. You're going to get in trouble for that. I mean, there's differences between something that's intentional and unintentional. I, I can't even really believe we're having this conversation. All right, clip two. Many, many, many. And so, uh, uh, when it comes to women's rights with respect to their reproduction, I think you should leave it to women. It's really, uh, you cannot help but notice. I mean, I'm not the first guy to observe this. You have a lot of men of European descent passing these extraordinary laws based on ignorance. Okay, that is a, a strange thing to say. The, the European descent. I'm going to get to the first part about we should just leave it to women. I want to get to that in a second. But uh, the European descent, right? Him saying, well, it's, you know, I'm not the first person to notice that these are laws passed by men of European descent. Like, why would you say that? Why would you say of European descent? That's a strange thing to throw in there. You don't do that by accident, right? Like, when's the last time you've ever used that sentence structure? Like, well, men of European descent. Like, like what is that? And it's a weird argument because we live in a country mostly of people of European descent. So all laws in America are going to be passed by people of European descent. So that in and of itself is not an argument. Now, if you want to go down there, Bill, we can go down that road. Um, let's look at other countries. Uh, Brazil, not European descent. Uh, abortion is illegal, except in cases of rape or incest. Chile, it's illegal across the board. Colombia, El Salvador, Nicaragua, illegal in all circumstances. So these are laws passed by people not of European descent. So what's your point? Let's go to Africa, Nigeria, Senegal, Zimbabwe. Most countries in Africa, only abortion is only allowed in the case of a mother's life. Notice, not health of the mother, life of the mother. Very different. In America, we have this health of the mother thing, which includes emotional health. I talked to an abortion doctor a couple months ago. He said that he gave an abortion to a girl. And this was, he's not an abortion doctor anymore. He said he gave an abortion to a girl because she did not want to be pregnant during her prom. And that falls under the category of emotional health. But in Africa, in most of these countries, it's life of the mother. South Africa, it's only allowed in the first trimester. Uh, Egypt, it's illegal there. Turkey, only up to 10 weeks. It's illegal in the Philippines. If you look at a map of the world, Really, it's the European countries that have the most liberal 
abortion laws that allow abortion the most. It's America, Canada, Australia, most of Europe. So Bill's point is absolutely wrong. Um, backwards. The European countries are least restrictive when it comes to abortion. It's South America and Africa and the Middle East that are the most restrictive on abortion. But I want to go back to his first point about this whole, like, let women choose concept. I, I absolutely reject the entire premise of that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, we can't allow that to go on anymore. I, I, I don't, I will never make an argument that says 49% of the population is not allowed to have a say in it. Because that's what this is. Right? 49% of the population, you're not allowed to have an opinion on this thing. And I never want to live in a country where men are told by other men, no less, to turn off their natural inclination to protect children. Turn it off. Right? That natural desire that's placed inside of you that to protect children, because that's what men do, that natural instinct, turn it off. And ignore the 300,000 abortions that Planned Parenthood does every year. I refuse to do that. And the only way that men can turn that off is if they're deprogrammed to not protect children. Truly, you have to be deprogrammed. The natural state of man is to protect children. And if we don't, we have to, we're, it's because we've been deprogrammed by culture and by 90s children's TV scientists to not protect children like men always have everywhere in the world for all time. Now, uh, many pregnancies are incredibly difficult situations. It is a man's job not to turn the other way and pretend it's not happening and kill it and make it go away. That's not a man's job. A man's job and a woman's job and society's job and the village's job, if you will, is to make that pregnancy less difficult, to help, to mentor, to protect, to provide for the mom physically and emotionally. And at the end of the day, if she can't raise that baby, then we help with the adoption. All very difficult, but infinitely more life-building for everyone involved than killing it. It's not the manly thing to do or to accept. So I want to play two more clips when we get back here, but the, the approach to abortion in the first 90 seconds from Bill Nye, the science guy, can be summed up as ridicule. Okay, so I'm going to stand up here on my, on my, on my perch, and I'm going to ridicule others. And I'm going to tell men to be cowards. That's his argument. We're 90 seconds in. That's his argument. I'm going to ridicule everyone and I'm going to tell men to be cowards. We'll play the rest of the video next. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Later. Let's get a little more from Bill Nye, the science guy on abortion. Uh, we're halfway through the video. Let's wrap it up here. Sorry, you guys. I know it was written, or your interpretation of a book written 5,000 5, years ago, uh, 50 centuries ago, makes you think that when 
a man and a woman have sexual intercourse, they always have a baby, that's wrong. And so to pass laws based on that belief is inconsistent with nature. I mean, it's hard not to get frustrated with this, everybody. Okay, so no one has ever said that. Ever. <laughs> I've never heard that. Well, first of all, the oldest part of the Bible was written 35 centuries ago, not 50, but whatever. Um, I've never met someone who has ever said or whoever believes, and nowhere is it written in the Bible that every time a man and a woman have sex, it makes a baby. And again, it's hard to refute that claim that Bill Nye makes because no one's ever claimed such a thing. I don't even know where that's coming from. And I don't even know the point of it, even if it were true. Um, but even Catholics who who don't use birth control have what they call the natural family planning system, uh, where they make note of the woman's cycle, understanding that the window of fertilization is very small, not even days long. So that's a straw man argument if I've ever seen one. But again, I don't even know what you mean by it. Other than for Bill to use that as a way to mock the Bible and uh, mock you Bible thumpers by mischaracterizing said Bible. Next clip. Nobody likes abortion, okay? But you can't tell somebody what to do. I mean, she has rights over this, especially if she doesn't like the guy that got her pregnant. Like She doesn't want anything to do with your genes. Get over it especially if she were raped and all this. So uh, it's very frustrating on the, on the outside, on the other side. Uh, we have so many more important things to be dealing with. We have so many more problems to squander resources on this argument based on bad science, on just lack of understanding. It's very frustrating. Yeah, I'm not sure if we have so many more things to be dealing with, to be honest. I mean, there's certainly a lot of things to deal with. Don't get me wrong. But I think we can we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And, and honestly, if you really wanted to rank, you know, prioritize things, I would think any issue dealing with human life and the existence of human life and the ending of human life, don't you think that's just like objectively you would put that high on the priority scale? No matter what it is, but anything with human life and the beginning or ending of it, <laughs> I think that should be high up there. I mean, we could talk about taxes. A couple of days ago on my local show, we talked with Stephen Moore, who uh, helped write Rand Paul's tax plan. And we talked about Donald Trump's tax plan. And that's good. But living or not living, I think, is of greater importance than tax rates. So, I don't know. Um, let's, uh, we got a couple more minutes. Let's wrap it up. This is the last clip, I believe. Closing abortion clinics, closing uh, not getting giving women access to birth control has not been an effective way to lead to healthier societies. This, I mean, I think we all know that, and I understand that you have deeply held beliefs, and you want to, and it really is ultimately out of respect for people. In this case, your perception of unborn people. I understand that, but I really encourage you to look at the facts. And I know people are now critical of the expression "fact-based." But what's wrong with that? <laughs> so I just really encourage you to not tell women what to do and not pursue these laws that really are in nobody's best interest. Just really be objective about this. We have other problems to solve, everybody. Come on. Come on. Let's work together. 
It's really uh, super arrogant. Like that's never a posture that a scientist should take. Right, that that posture of arrogance and ridicule. Uh, talking about fact based. Coming up next, I want to play a clip of an interview I did the other day with Robert P. George. Uh, Robert George here is is genius. He uh, went to Harvard and Oxford. Uh, teaches at Princeton University. He won the Presidential Citizens Medal, which is one of the highest honors you can earn. Just a brilliant, brilliant man. And I asked him a, a pretty deep question: When does life begin? Um, and he did a two-minute answer that I've, I've is as succinct and clear as you can get. Never once mentions the Bible. It's not about that. It's about science. Uh, so, so we'll we'll play that as a rebuttal to. Uh, to Bill here, but he, my last point, um, he's trying to make a libertarian argument. I think he may have caught there. He's like, you know, let the woman decide that whole thing. It's not hurting anybody. It's her choice, her body, blah, blah, blah. So I'm a libertarian if, if I needed a label, right? I'm for you being allowed to do anything you want as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. Glenn Beck often uh, qu- quotes uh, Thomas Jefferson in the notes on the state of Virginia when he said uh, the legitimate powers, uh, legitimate powers of government, how does it go? The, the legitimate powers of government extend to such acts as those that are uh, injurious to others, but it does mean no injury for my neighbor to say there are twenty gods or no gods. It neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg. But abortion is injurious to others, right? I'll have an argument that prostitution should be legal. I mean, I'm not saying it should be, but I'll have that discussion. I'll have a discussion about how drug use should be legal as long as it doesn't affect someone else, like drinking and driving. I'll have those debates, worthy debates. But abortion doesn't fall under that category. A baby has its own blood, its own DNA, its own brain, its own liver. You can't do something that harms that. And our laws reflect that. You know, in California, if someone kills a pregnant woman, they're charged with two murders. Talk about the science next. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. Slater, thanks for being here. I want to play um, a couple minutes of this, actually. This is an interview I did yesterday uh, on my local show with Robert P. George. He's a professor at Princeton. He went to Harvard and Oxford, um, won the Presidential Citizens Medal. Like, really one of the most impressive people I've ever talked to on the the show. Um, And I went right after. I said, and we were talking about the Bill Nye clip. And I said, sir, let's do this. What, when does life begin? Because now let me ask, Bill was just saying, guys, from this posture of ridicule and what, guys, come on, look at the science. I know, I know it's, it's not fashionable to talk about fact-based things, but I mean, come on, let's look at the facts of when, uh, about what life is and what it isn't. I mean, come on, let's, come on, guys. All right, let's. Look at the signs. So here's Robert P. George. When does life begin? And he's just lying. So he's either a fool or a fraud. Yeah. I, I, I suspect there's a little of both in there. So when does life begin, Professor George? At, ordinarily at fertilization. That is uh, when sperm and egg uh, meet uh, with uh, the uh, genetic contribution from uh, each uh, uh, j- uh, joining. 
Uh, and at that point, you no longer have gametes, a sperm or egg, an egg. They disappear. They no longer exist. And they're replaced by a whole new uh, organism, uh, the embryo, uh, at the earliest stage, the single-cell stage called the, the zygote, who is a living member of a species Homo sapiens, who is continuous with, he's the same creature as, by the way, I say he, could be she, sex is determined from the very beginning in the human, that's continuous with the person who might live only for nine more days, who might live for 90 years, uh, but it's the same human being. So let's say the human being that's, well, let's take an example, Bill Nye, you know, let's say Bill Nye, I don't know how old Bill Nye is, let's say he's 60 years old, sounds about right, I guess. He's the very same human being, the living organism, the whole living member of the species Homo sapiens, who was, you know, a few decades back, a 20-year-old engineering student, that's actually what he studied in college, uh, and then a few years before that was an adolescent, and a few years before that was a toddler, and uh, just before that was a newborn infant, and before that was a seven-month fetus, and before that was a uh, nine-week embryo, and before that was the newly conceived human being. That being, we know as Bill Nye, developed by a gapless, continuous process, and one that is actually internally directed, not, not something uh, directed by uh, the mother, but an internally directed process developed from the embryonic into and through the fetal, infant, child, and adolescent stages, and ultimately into adulthood with his or her unity, determinateness, and identity fully intact. That's why it's true to say that you or me or Bill Nye was once an embryo, even though it would be false to say that you or me or Bill Nye was once a sperm cell or was once mm -hmm. an egg cell. Mm -hmm. Those were not distinct living organisms. They were genetically and functionally parts of other organisms, mm -hmm. the, the, the mother and father respectively. But when they joined, you got something new. Listen, genetically and functionally distinct. Listen to this Bible thumper going on and on about Genesis, right? None of, nothing, nothing you just said is a religious context there. So where is this argument? Why isn't this argument heard more often, sir? Well, well actually, the Bible doesn't help you on that. I mean, I, I'm all for the Bible. It's great. It's wonderful. Uh, Word of God. Uh, but but like, the Bible doesn't help. If you want to know when the life of a new human being begins— you can't look it up even in Genesis. And in fact, for most of human history, we didn't know. It wasn't until the, um, the discovery of the ovum, a mammalian ovum in the uh, uh, 1820s, that we even had a very realistic picture of how fertilization and mm. early development takes place in mammals, including human beings. So I, I, I don't advise people to try to find the answer to this question about human life's begin the beginnings of an individual distinct human being in the bible go to any of the about half a dozen of leading texts that are used in human embryology and anatomy i, I if, you, if you look at the article that pat lee and i did we we cite a few of them there and and you know it's easy to look them up on online mm -hmm. and by the way they all as i said earlier they all tell the same story i mean there's no controversy here there's no difference of opinion among scientists we all know what happens at conception you get a new living member of the species homo sapiens who will by an internally directed gapless process develop himself or herself through the stages of development from the embryonic into and through the fetal, infant, child, and adolescent, and to adulthood. Amazing. That's how it works. Now, what about the argument that it's not viable? What do you make of that? 
I heard that a lot at the at the hearing the other day. It's not viable. Therefore, it doesn't count or something. Well, that can't possibly be true unless we're prepared to say that any human being who is dependent on others for his or her survival isn't actually a human being. I mean, yeah, all okay. viability means is the ability to survive without the assistance of somebody else. Yeah. Well, how many elderly people, how many infirm people, people in uh, comas, uh, people who are uh, severely handicapped, uh, people who have suffered severe injuries, uh, people who are suffering from uh, advanced cancers or other uh, illnesses, how many people then are viable? This is just silliness. Wow. Uh, sir, I, we got to run. I, is there another? So this Bill Nye argument that he made, I've never heard it before. <laughs> is there another argument that you're hearing more recently that you've that you've never heard before um, from the pro-choice movement? Well, this is a new one <laughs> for me, right? And I think it, I think we can say this much for Bill Nye. At least his argument was original. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that's true. Else. That's true. It's He's been a long time. Side who makes it? Yeah. It's been a long time since I've heard a new one, so that would, that would be on top of the list. Sir, what classes the, the, do you— The serious pro-choice people, like my colleague Peter Singer here at Princeton, the, the serious pro, pro-choice people don't hide the ball, and they don't lie, and they don't make stuff up. They say, of course you've got a human being. Of course abortion is the killing of a human being. Of course it's homicidal. But they think it should be permitted because they think that human beings in the early stages of development or perhaps in debilitated conditions like at the end of life or those who are severely cognitively disabled, although they're human beings, they're not the equal of other human beings. They're not persons. Mm-hmm. They therefore you know, can't, uh, don't have the, the, the principled moral, moral uh, protections against being killed that other human beings have. Now, I don't agree with that because I believe in the principle of human equality. I don't think that humans come as inferiors or superiors that, that, or that there are some human beings who mm-hmm. are persons and some human beings who aren't persons. I don't agree with any of that in Singer's philosophy. But at least the guy's honest, and he's got a coherent argument. It's wrong, but it's coherent. Really good. We'll okay. stop there. I um, I know that was a lot. I just I thought that was really good. Um, let, let me end. Well, in this whole conversation on this note, this bill not. So I just got a, a tweet here uh, from Rants Out Loud. So Nye is saying we can't have a discussion about killing babies because there's other problems to focus on. That's it's a word here. I don't choose to say that's nonsense. I agree. Um, here's why I, I I just think it's so. Sh- mm, I think it's inconsistent. Oh, that's a nice word. Inconsistent. Uh, Bill Nye's position uh, when he's so dismissive against life in the womb, as the professor just said. Anyone who's really serious understands and acknowledges that it is indeed uh, life. Um, but I see some I- inconsistencies here. Um, Melanie Pataki. She's a flight attendant on Southwest, and she was on a flight from uh, Baltimore to San Diego, right where I am right now. And when she was in Baltimore, a family boarded the plane, and she got to know one of the families there. Uh, She met a seven-year-old boy on the plane, Benjamin. Benjamin was headed to San Diego, and Melanie asked, "Why, why, why are you going to San Diego? And he said, because I'm going to become a Navy SEAL. Seven years old. The boy was on a -a make-a-wish trip. And out of all the things he could have wished for in the whole world, he wanted to train with the Navy SEALs, which is an awesome wish. (laughs) Benjamin's my kind of guy. 
So I don't know Benjamin's condition, to be honest. But, you know, with the what it takes to, to get a make-a-wish, he could have a terminal illness. But it doesn't matter. We care about his life. We mourn for his loss of life too soon. And it's interesting to me that, that we put so much emphasis... It seems to me like Bill Nye would bemoan how much emphasis, how many resources we put on Benjamin's life. I mean, he's only seven and he's going to die anyway. Who cares? But instead, there's a part in all of us who love Benjamin. We, we tear up when we think about this amazing kid fighting this illness, taking it head on with bright bravery and having a thirst for life. And then along the way, making people's days brighter and inspiring the rest of us and still wanting to be a Navy SEAL. There's a bit of humanity in all of us. Forget about the science talking about the humanity. We love Benjamin. Why? Why do we love Benjamin? Why do we love this seven-year-old wanting to become a Navy SEAL so excited about it? Why do we love him? Why are we inspired by Aunt Benjamin? And what I don't get is that every single person in this country is inspired by little Benjamin. We love Benjamin. But some people can't tap into whatever it is inside of us that loves Benjamin. We can't tap into that and apply it to the abortion topic. This is what's weird. Maybe I'm not being clear. I bet if, if Benjamin's wish was to meet Bill Nye the science guy, I bet Bill Nye would accept that make-a-wish. Why? Why? He's dying anyway. I mean, the kid's life is going to be over soon. He won't even remember it for a couple months before he's dead anyway. Gosh, we gotta fly. He's gotta, he's gotta fly all the way across the country to be to meet with Bill Nye. What a waste of gas! What a gas of fossil fuels, right? A waste of money, a waste of energy for this kid. Heck, you know what? I mean, pff, why, why even try to keep him alive? He's gonna die anyway. It's only an expense and a hassle. Just end his life. End its life. End it. Here we are trying to make one of his wishes come true. We should just kill him right now anyway. But of course we don't look at Benjamin that way. Even Bill Nye, the science guy, doesn't look at Benjamin that way. We love him and we go out of our way to love and serve him and his family. Why don't we tap into that same place in our hearts and fight for the unborn? Same thing to me. We were just talking about the science of it. I bet that that zygote wants to live just as much as Benjamin does. I just feel like it's our job to help make that happen, isn't it? Just, you know, as fellow human beings, the same thing inside of us that makes us want to give Benjamin's wish, make Benjamin Benjamin's wish come true, isn't that the same part inside of us that would have wanted Benjamin to be born? Before he right, it's the same thing. What's the difference? I don't know. Anyway, one eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network.
This is Mike Slater. Wow, I just read something on Twitter. This person said, you know who the bravest, are you wondering who the bravest person is in America? Think about that. Who's the bravest person in America? Oh, uh, the clock kid. He's so brave. Or Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner's the bravest person in America. Now, you know the bravest person in America? The second person to admit to being a Christian after the Oregon shooter murdered the first. That's that's what we understand, and more will come out. Our understanding right now is that he had the people lined up and went down the line and said, are you a Christian? And if they said yes, he shot him in the head, and if they said no, he shot him in the leg or something. So we'll, we'll hear more. We don't know if that's exactly how it went down, but um, we do know that they asked if he was Christians and that he murdered him one at a time. If that's how it went down, imagine that. Asking the first person, are you a Christian? They said yes, he shoots him in the head. Then he gets to the second person and says, are you a Christian? I think I was I heard from Glenn a story where uh, in ISIS had a line of Christians. Same thing. Are you a Christian? Yes, chop their head off. Are you a Christian? Yes, chop their head off. Are you a Christian? Yes, chop their head off. Went all the way down to the end. And the last person in line, they said, Are you a Christian? And the man said, I wasn't, but I believe in whatever they believe in. Right. Whatever it is that they believe in, that would lead them to say, to say yes, I am, even though they know you're going to cut their head off. I'm yet yeah, that whatever I'm with them. It's amazing. My buddy um, grew up Christian in his family, and his dad told him that if he was ever in a situation where someone had a gun to his head, like the dad's head. Oh, no, 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 it was this way. It was, if, if there's ever a situation, son, where someone has a gun to your head, this is what it was. Think about this. If someone has a gun to your head and says uh, to the dad, denounce Jesus now or else I'm going to kill your son, the dad told his son, son, I'm going to say to you, I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> wow. Bravest person in America, the second person to admit to being a Christian. After the Oregon shooter murdered the first. Oh, and the third person, the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.